Hello, I'm Josh Becker, CEO of Lex Machina, and the moderator for today's webcast. Welcome to today's webcast, The Future of Law. This is the first of a series of thought leadership discussions that we will host in regular intervals. Let me first start by introducing our panel today. Monica Bay is a journalist, analyst, and provocateur. For 17 years, she was editor-in-chief of Law Technology News in New York, and for 13 years, senior editor at The Recorder in San Francisco. She's now a fellow at Codex, writing for the Codex blog. Monica is also a columnist at Above the Law and is co-host with Robert Ambrosi of the Law Technology Now podcast at the Legal Tech Network. Having won numerous awards, she was named among the top 10 2016 women of legal tech selected by the APA's Legal Technology Resource Center last year. Also on our panel today, Dr. Roland Vogel. He's a lawyer, scholar, and media entrepreneur at Stanford University. Roland is the executive director of the Stanford Program in Law, Science, and Technology, and a lecturer in law at Stanford Law School. He co-founded the Center for Legal Informatics, Codex, which he leads as executive director. Roland also researches international technology law through the Transatlantic Technology Law Forum, a think tank dedicated to transatlantic tech law and policy issues and he serves as a member of the Editorial Advisory Board of Legal Tech News. And both Roland and Monica were recently named Trailblazers by the ABA Journal. Uh, Roland, I'd like you to please um, start off and tell us about some of the trends that you are seeing um, in law today. Sure. Well, thank you very much, Josh, and thank you for having me. So I think the first, uh, first trend I want to uh, talk about is um, that we're seeing a very different legal market um, today. So uh, big law now is, uh, is uh, more and more in competition with uh, you know, regional and mid-sized law firms, uh, boutique law firms. We have legal process outsources, alternative legal service providers, and then also corporate law departments that are insourcing more and more uh, legal work. And so we're seeing, uh, so this is a trend that's been evolving over uh, the last 10 years or so. And uh, a recent survey, uh, last year's Law Firms in Trans Transition Survey, uh, which is conducted by uh, Altman Wild, is sending out this survey to 800 managing partners of law firms with more than 50 lawyers. They found that 68% uh, of the law firms report that they have lost business to corporate law departments, 24% of firms see the potential risk of losing business to corporate law departments. So that's that's one of the uh, the, uh, the first um, trends I, I would like to mention. Monica, did you want to add anything to that? Uh, oh, I agree exactly with what you're saying, and thank you for including me too. Um, you you talked about the the what's going on with corporate law, and there's two two organizations right now that are really good examples of that. One is called Buying Legal Counsel, who all, who just did a, a survey also, and I wrote about that on our Codex blog. And then there's a San Francisco one called CLOC, C-L-O-C, which is the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium. And I think you're spot on about 
about what's going on in the corporate council because they're fed up and they're fed up very obviously um they're tired of 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 paying the firms to teach their their young uh, attorneys and they want better faster cheaper and transparent um and less expensive operations so um that's been a big big issue for big law that that's right so okay. what's the next trend that you're seeing so Another big trend is, uh, I think, the technological innovation is growing in importance. We see it um, actually technology coming to the legal system from all sides. Um, I would organize it into innovation in the search space, so searching legal, finding legal information, legal documents uh, in a faster way. The whole area of big data, big data law, the area of computational law, and that's um, what does that mean? That, that means um, uh, automation and mechanization of, of, of legal analysis. Uh, so classic example is uh, Tur TurboTax as one of those computational law systems, but also self-executing contracts would fall into this category, and a whole world of smart contracts, computable contracts. You've seen a lot of that kind of work at Stanford? There, yes, this is really a focus area of our, our research, um, and there's a lot of exciting innovation coming in that, in that area too. Uh, the field of practice management uh, is uh, there's a lot of new tools out there and platforms uh, that, that help uh, lawyers manage their practice, new intake uh, forms, and you know allowing lawyers to to really uh, focus on on giving legal advice and letting sort of the, 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 the tedious parts of the managing a firm being handled by technology. And uh, and then um, then online dispute resolution. I think there's a lot of innovation in, in that space too. Cool, those are interesting categories. I would jump in. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, you raised two things that, that I'm very passionate about and Ever since I got my ticket, I am a lawyer uh, uh, in California, and the, there's been so much resistance to anyone outside of, of the main law to help. Uh, Nolo started this a million, in, and they actually almost got they got sued in Texas because because they wrote a book about how to how to handle a lot of stuff. Um, Rocket Lawyer, LegalZoom, Avo, uh, I'm, I think that's, uh, help me if I'm missing one of those, have been using tech. And the dirty little secret of it is it's not just helping the 80% of Americans who can neither find nor, nor afford any kind of help, but it's also helping the small firm lawyers. And that's something to really, really watch because they're using tech effectively and it's very, very interesting on that. The other thing that I've noticed over the years is some of the most savvy big law have figured out ways to get around the restrictions that allow only lawyers to make to get certain um, uh, profits from a law firm. And a couple of the ones that are really interesting to look at is um, uh, Segway, uh, ah, sorry, um, Littler was one that did um, only employment int interests for labor and labor work and only for corporate, et cetera. 
And most of the big law ones would have like this huge big agenda. And Sedgwick, as I was saying, did only insurance. And they were one of the first firms in California to do uh, moving amounts of how you pay. If they won, you get a certain amount. If you if you won more, and it was more of a not an hourly basis. So those are two things I would cite. All right. And we had a question. Generally, we'll probably hold most questions from the end, but here's one that came in, and um, you know, please go ahead and, and ask the questions. This says, would AI fall into the computational law category? And the answer is yes. So computational law is um, basically um, uh, both, you know, the tool-based AI, uh, you know, sort of logic-based AI, um, uh, the expert systems, but it also includes uh, the whole area of statistical AI brought to um, to the to to solve legal information or mach- uh, legal legal problems. So um, uh, machine learning, natural language processing. So those those two different areas of AI are coming together in this kind of notion of computational law um, in sort of the the, the legal. Okay, uh, and that's helpful. And we'll also have resources at the end that, and and your information, and all of our information to if people want to go deeper. But thank you for addressing that. Yeah. So part of this, you know, trend that legal innovation is uh, growing in importance is that you know we've really seen a a a, a startup boom in all different areas of of legal technology, from consumer facing platforms to contract analytics to e discovery. Uh, it's a lot. Many, many more uh, startups out there. Uh, we are tracking early stage legal tech innovation uh, on our uh, on a database we created, uh, the techindex.law, that's Stanford.edu. If you're interested in, in learning more about early stage legal tech companies, you should check it out. Uh, how thanks many, for letting me have a little plug. How, how many? So we have about almost seven, 700 companies in, in that database. So uh, many, many uh, here uh, in Silicon Valley, but other places in the U.S. and internationally too. So it's definitely there's definitely a a startup boom going on. Uh, just to kind of you know reemphasize, you know Bill Henderson, who's been uh, covering uh, the legal services market for 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 a while, uh, he says you know to ignore or fall behind on technology is to run the risk of commercial ruin. And he says this axiom applies to lawyers in private practice, and to law schools that want employers to hire their graduates. So basically, we are all in the same boat. Um, the good news is, and I think um, you know we should really emphasize that um, that came out of the the Georgetown uh, 2016 report on the state of the legal market, namely that firms that have responded proactively, and that's really key, to changing client expectations by making strategic changes to lawyer staffing, service delivery, and their pricing models, they are outperforming uh, their peers in terms of financial results. Great. And Monica, are you are you seeing this this trend as well? Yes, I completely agree. And I, I think the, there's so many positive things that come out of where we are right now. And when you think about it, the internet is what 15 years old. You know, the the um, the what magic to me is how some things just get start and they just go wham. I mean, think about how we use our phones. And the involvement and and the 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 dynamics, it's ex- exponential, it's not li- linear. Um it's very very exciting and and my big theme is 
is the whole concept of of being able to do better, faster, cheaper, cheaper, and transparent because it's enabling so many more people to be able to use uh, uh, go, do litigation or do, do use attorneys or be able to be creative because it's it's moving so fast. I mean, one one last thing on this I would say is is you know I'm old enough that I have literally gone through vinyl, eight track, cassettes, CDs, and now streaming, and it's amazing to me how quickly we can adjust to that and we can embrace it and accept these sorts of changes. I mean, I use Siri and Alexa now because I can't do, I can't come up with words sometimes and it sits right there for me and if I can't spell, I just ask Siri or I ask Alexa. <laughs> Siri, how do you spell legal analytics? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's funny. Good. Well, that's fun. Um, so next, next uh, trend, Rowan, that you're seeing. All right, so a more recent trend is what I call the coming together of the big brains, the big money, and the big data. And what I mean by that is, well, we've seen you know these uh, very interesting uh, new companies uh, like Lex Machina in this uh, big data law space. So Lex Machina, the trailblazer in legal analytics in the, in the, uh, litigation context, uh, but the same approach is also used in transactional legal practice, you know, in contract analytics. And, you know, here's another logix is an example. There's many, uh, many more uh, companies in that space, of course, but also not just in transactional practice, also in, uh, in the criminal justice system. Uh, we're using machine learning and the big data law approach to better understand what's going on in the criminal justice system. Uh, my center, Codex, has been working on a uh, very interesting project with a San Francisco district attorney trying to go through uh, arrest reports that were made by uh, certain police officers who were engaged in racist text messaging. We've been using machines to go through these arrest reports to understand which arrests that were made may have been based on bias and which, which ones weren't. And this is an ongoing research project. That's so the, did you approach the San Francisco DA or did they approach you or how did that? Uh, so they formed a, a blue ribbon commission, the so-called blue ribbon commission, uh, which included a couple of judges. They approached a couple of different law schools uh, to have law students go through these arrests and, and, and kind of analyze the arrests. But then we started, in addition to that, a technology-aided analysis of these arrests and try to turn all these PDFs of the arrest reports into structured data. Because once you have the structured data, as you well know, yes. you can just start doing real, real analytics. And so, uh, and so, yeah. So this is an ongoing project that we're very excited about. Fascinating. Uh, thank you. And so. Um, then the big brains, and those are just some examples. I think there's many more big brains uh, that are coming to the to the uh, legal field. But it's a relatively new phenomenon that uh, computer science professors, you know, find this uh, legal space as an interesting area for application of their uh, research and 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 their techniques they're using to understand information and make sense of information. Um, and um, and so we have uh, new computer science profs uh, involved in 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 our in our work, but there's also those um, you know the, the hacker types you know they are not trained lawyers and they're not uh, Stanford computer science professors, 
but they take a strong interest in using their skills in doing things in a new way in in a, in a legal context. So, uh, you know, people putting contracts on the blockchain and, and automating certain uh, contractual obligations. That's also uh, an interesting new trend. And, and we also just some examples. Yeah, we saw some interesting around the Supreme Court nomination. Yeah. People using uh, data to try to predict. Um, you know, there was a Scalia index that was developed, and other people trying to use data to to predict uh, who would be nominated. Uh, Monica, you wrote about this, I believe, right? Yeah, Dan Katz was involved with this. Um, it, 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 it was really, really exciting. I, I, Roland, you probably know the name of it because I'm blanking on it. Uh, I think you know the story better than I, so I'll give it to you. I, I think Josh knows the story better than I, actually. <laughs> well, I think, um, well, Ramble developed with the Scalia Index, so they were, they were the ones who, who kind of came out with that, and, and, and Gorsh uh, scored highest of the potential nominees on that, and he was uh, selected. And then there is a prediction marketplace that's also, I know Dan Katz and Josh Blackman and others have been doing yeah. that for a while. Right. Um, and, and I believe they did successfully predict the, the nominee uh, as well. So, um, uh, so so that's fun. Also, there is a question um, from the, uh, the viewers here today. Um, it says, how many law schools are offering technology of law programs um, to kind of, I think it says to assure folks are practice ready um, and can help law firms uh, and, and can they help uh, to, to make sure that associates are practice ready, and can they help uh, the firm uh, they join innovate? I think that means, you know, can the then associates then help the firms innovate? So yeah. in my impression, obviously Stanford's doing stuff. Um, I know, you know um, Michigan State was a, has been a big leader. When Dan Katz was there, now he's over at Kent IIT, and now, of course, they're a leader as well. Um, still, I think, relatively small, but there are some law schools doing interesting things. Yeah. Um, There's a couple, not very many, uh, but uh, there are folks at, um, uh, I think, uh, what's it called, uh, University of Miami um, Law School. Uh, you know, it's, on, it's on, on a lot of law school, law school leaders' minds. You know, how do you prepare uh, the students uh, for this kind of... Uh, transforming legal industry, how do you better prepare them? And, you know, teaching technology for the law is an important part of that. And I agree. I think, though, you know, having these graduates that are, you know, uh, conversant in those technologies and they come with sort of a fresh set of eyes into the firm, I think will be accelerating innovation and this, this uh transformation that the firms will have to go through, and, and I think we'll, 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 we're seeing this already. Yeah, I think we've seen that at Lex Machina, um, uh, not exclusively, but because we also have firms who, you know, people who have been longtime partners who then become champions of legal analytics within their firms, but we have seen, you know, some younger graduates come and who are, you know, technology natives, as you say, and they've been the ones who've been really advocating and helped introduce uh, legal analytics um, uh, and the work that we do into the firm. So we, we have seen that. But I do think, you know, uh, to your report, Roland, I think law schools can do more and will need to do more um, going forward. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, Casey Flaherty was a big, big, big breakthrough when he was at uh, Kia, um, the, the, it, uh, the car place, and right. he got a lot of traction for a couple of years, and I still he's still doing it. What he did was when he was at Kia, if I'm pronouncing that right, he would require the um, 
firms that were coming in to try to get their business, and they'd say, you have to bring your best person who knows the basics, very, very, very basics, things like, like, do you know how to to print out something in, in uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name of it, but, but what he did is he would give them four very basic chores that could be done using very basic uh, 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 stuff, and it blew open so many people because they, you know, it was like like they didn't even know how to send a, a, an email to the printer kind of a situation. And he, his whole thing was, I'm not going to pay these people $300 an hour when they don't even know how to use a basic uh, 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 thing from Microsoft, you know, like they don't know how to use, use a, 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 what's the one that, that uh, you use for money. The the anyway, you get the point. Excel, right? Yeah, right. Managing Excel, Excel, Excel yes, spreadsheets, probably the the, yep. the one. Yeah. Um, um, good. Yeah. No. Yeah. So yeah, he's definitely you know, been a leader, and, and I think we'll probably see 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 more of that. Um, and um, and 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 we've seen a st- couple stories like that too, right? Where um, you know, general counsel Rich Bear, who's a, a general counsel of uh, Liberty Media. Has said, you know, I spent two, you know, I spent two billion dollars on, on legal fees in my career without data, and mm-hmm. I would have spent the next two billion using data, right, to to get the biggest bang for the buck. Um, let's keep going. There are some good questions here, but we will we'll address those as we yeah. as we go. So this is, you know, another, you know, just to conclude that uh, idea, you know, that you know, the, also big money is now flowing into this space. Legal tech hasn't been a very popular investment category for VCs uh, in the past, but it's it's becoming and there's marquee uh, VC funds that have invested in in uh, in, uh, in legal tech companies in recent years all right so then there's this whole as another trend that I think uh, is very interesting is that we've had this uh, um, it, over the last maybe five years or so this kind of concept of um, the robo lawyer has been been more and more popularized by the media and what it basically is about is whether you know will you know whether all these technological innovations they will lead to a disruption of the legal industry as we know it uh, or whether you know, we'll just see uh, incremental change and so I think you know that's an interesting question to ask for a lot of important innovations that have come technological innovations that have come uh, to to the legal system, you know, and so I, you know, this this chart that you're seeing here, you know, I'm starting with uh, West's Americans Digest system, which is uh, arguably a very uh, a key innovation in in the way we we find the law. Uh, you know, it's, it has been an important technological innovation, but hasn't um, you know has enhanced lawyers rather than displaced them. Yeah, then you know, if you look at you know. Electronic, you know, I don't want to go through all of those and, and ask this, that question, but uh, you know, electronics research uh, has also been in lawyer enhancing, but you know, has has changed the role of the legal librarian in in the firm, right? So, uh, so you know, I wouldn't say they disrupted librarians, but it has changed the role of li- librarians. Uh, e-discovery has been disruptive to junior, uh, you know. M&A uh, associates, but it has also then created the role of the e-discovery attorney, right? So, the, so yeah, technology sometimes disrupts a specific specific role, but then also creates an, an, a, a new role. Anyway, so 
So I think that's an interesting trend. So this conversation of you know, are we see, are we, is there a looming disruption, or are we gonna just you know see more incremental change in the space? All right, and so so the specter of the robo lawyer is really you know these kind of cognitive decision making aspects of technology is what makes a lot of lawyers uncomfortable. And you know the robo lawyer basically means you know two things. One is this process legal process automation. And two is sort of the ability to predict certain legal outcomes. And, you know, both these aspects kind of leverage different AI technologies. I think that just to, you know, not to, uh, you know, go into too much detail on that, but I think, um, I think you know, from my perspective, you know, technology is not going to make uh, trial adv advocacy go away. In the future, it is, it is going to be used more as a sort of lawyer-enhancing um, technology. Yeah, I think right, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I think we've, you know, we've seen that as well. I was on a panel with uh, my friend Andrew Rudolph, CEO of Ross Intelligence, and, and they were talking about the different generations of their website and, you yeah. know, how they really changed it to make it clear that, you know, they're not looking to replace lawyers either, right? It's really about, um, and certainly that's true here at Lex Machina, it's about making lawyers better lawyers. Right. Um, and, you know, there will be some changing of roles, as you said, um, but a lot of this technology can, um, you know, can be, can be used um, – to the advantage of big law and um, of, of, uh, of firms. Mm -hmm. And I would jump in and say, I think it's going to be phenomenal because the way it's been done in the past has been so, so, so expensive that the only people who can really, I think, it's, I think the number is 2% of litigants actually end up in litigation. And Judge Facciola talked about this all the time. If, if the only people can actually get in there and be able to have access to justice and be able to have it because they can afford it, what's happening for everybody else? And I, you know, I keep, I keep, pounding the better, faster, cheaper, transparent, because if it is better, faster, cheaper, and transparent, it means that it's not going to cost so much to get there, and it allows the, the, the lawyers to focus on what the real issues are and how do they resolve it and how did you know if they have to litigate it how do they do that and the flip side of this also which i'm very very passionate and i mentioned before that 80 percent of americans can neither get lawyers or afford them and the lawyer and the small firm lawyers themselves couldn't even pay their own fees it, it's by having these tools it speeds the ability to get to conclusions and whether you're doing a, a will or you're doing a trying to figure out you've been in a small car crash or whether you're in a multi-million dollar litigation, um, it's going to make it better and it's going to give the lawyers more and more and more creativity plus adding the fact that because it's technology, they don't have to physically be in their room. Right now I'm sitting here with a lovely, with in, in what used to be my garage, and now it's my work area, and I can look out and see the, the snow all over today in a, in, a, in a beautiful, beautiful lake. So you can do more, you can be more flexible, and they don't, and the clients don't have to pay as much. You know? So I, I think it's win, 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 and win. Great. Um, thank you for that. One thing, uh, question was asked is, will you be sharing the slides after the presentation, trying to take notes, but it would be most appreciated? The answer is yes, we will be sharing the, the slides and the full webcast, um, a recording of the full webcast. 
Um, great. So uh, I see you've teed up how to thrive in the years ahead. I'm sure people are very interested in that. So why don't you uh, so take it away with that? So yeah. here's my take on that. So I, through my uh, my role at Stanford, I also uh, have the fortune to to speak to a lot of uh, um, law firm leaders, and that's that's one one question that that comes up a lot. And I think you know the the best place to start thinking about uh, how to be prepared for uh, this kind of changed uh, uh, world. Uh, is to start with the client. Uh, you know what what does what does the client want? And the client, you know, clients want uh, the lawyers to do more for less. They want value, more value, and uh, and that also means you know fast turnarounds. And they want to uh, they want to be able to work online with their lawyers, and they want transparency and predictability. The attorneys at the same time they want better control. They want better control of their lives and their work. Um, and so that means they want to be able to scale their practice, practice up and down. They want to be able to, to contract with outside attorneys when, when needed, you know, for researching or creating initial drafts. And they also want to be like, like Monica. They want to be able to, to look outside uh, <laughs> from their home on a beautiful lake, um, and they want that flexibility. And so that means, you know, that basically means that uh, you know more and more of the tools we're using will uh, have to move into the cloud. Uh, we'll be using more uh, collaborative drafting tools, um, and there'll be more and more integrated uh, uh, practice management. And uh, sorry, I, and and uh, <laughs> my apologies, um, and. Um, uh, that you know will allow the the clients to track the the progress of the of the of the legal work and understand whether their um, the lawyers is sort of uh, meeting the the milestones that were agreed upon, and uh, that also means that uh, lawyers will have to think about you know what aspects of their work can be automated. They should automate what can be automated, and that also means thinking about ways how the expertise they hold within their firm can be sort of sliced and diced and put together in new ways and made available to uh, to the client in new in new ways than the, this kind of bespoke one-on-one -on -one kind of uh, consultation. So technology will also help there, you know, will help guide the client along to that point where the, the um, you know, the, the, the machine takes in all the necessary information, but this, the machine will also escalate the matter to the human lawyer when the human lawyer needs to be involved. Um, all right, so the next, I think, important point about how to thrive in the future is to use use the data. So law firms are sitting on a, a uh, wealth of data. Leveraging those data will, first of all, help make the right connection between the right lawyer and the, and the right client to, to bring um, you know, the right, um, uh, the parties together. Data will help improve the legal advice, and we'll talk more about uh, legal analytics. Um, and data will also help make the clients more more informed. So the client does not necessarily have to, you know, sort of just rely on what, what, the, what the lawyer uh, tells him or her all the time and, and sort of treating it as sort of this, this kind of, uh, this, you know, magic or this, uh, uh, you know this, you know this just this magical knowledge that the lawyer has, but the, the client can now look at the data and then 
ask the lawyer to to explain, you know, why uh, he or she chooses a specific strategy over over another. I think so that this conversation will be become more and more bidirectional. And the data will help the law firms uh, also prepare their, their uh, response to RFPs. Uh, if the law firm really understands, and most law firms uh, don't have a really good grasp of like what it requires to, to produce a specific legal product, tracking this information will empower them to make uh, more compelling uh, proposals to their, um, to their clients. Yeah, and I agree. I think this is a tremendous opportunity for big law, as you said, sitting on a wealth of data. And we have started to see, you know, there are many firms now really embracing data in the RFPs, for example, to win business, um, as well as to um, win cases. Um, and, um, and that is a big opportunity. Okay. One of the things I think we're going to see in the next five years, though, and, and David uh, Katz again is, Daniel Katz again is, is really on this back and forth, called FinLaw, as in finance. And one of the things that I think has to happen in the next 10 years is for the organized bars and the ABA to start rethinking some of the restrictions that they have right now. Uh, when we talked earlier about uh, some of the issues, I mentioned some of the folks who have decided to do ancillary or secondary ones and, and uh, Troutman Sanders has done that with eDiscovery, and uh, uh, Sedgwick has done that. And I think one of the things that, that Dan talks a lot about is we really need to be able to have the finance folks, the, the, the money people, be able to come and offer to share the risks, um, to be able to come in on a major, major big big case, because even the large firms sometimes aren't going to want to take a case if they're afraid that they're going to spend so much money on it and it could damage the firm. So that is something I, they've, got to, they've got to change the rules to be more flexible with what's going on. And the other thing that I think has to change in the next 15 years that I'm extremely, fashion, uh, extremely uh, 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 excited about is diversity, because as we have more of these technologies, as we have such easy communication now, it is so crucial that that our community and law, law has been terrible on on uh, in big law on women. There's still a 18% gap between men and women there, and minority folks don't have that uh, a very good rate there either. And I think we've got to get to the point where our community and where the legal things realize that you have to have a diverse community if you're going to serve a reverse, uh, a diverse uh, community. So I think that's part and partial. And, and you know, I think because of the technology and because of, of of our ability to have so much access to everything. That's something that has to happen for us to really blossom, in my opinion. Yeah, great. Thank you. By the way, I'll mention, we usually call this for 45 minutes, but we have the full hour. So there are a lot of questions we'll try to get to all. Um, and so we have until 12 Pacific, 3 Eastern. But okay. Well, thank great. you Keep very much. So, uh, I just wanted to, eight, uh, to, to add to this, uh, to this point on, you know, this call to uh, use the data, a little caveat, which is that, you know, while – you know, our ability to model and profile and predict uh, legal outcomes has never been greater. I think lawyers uh, and, uh, you know, litigators and all lawyers 
uh, have to really un understand, um, you know, statistics and data sets. So if I, you know, use Lex Machina or, or one of your competitors, and I see that, um, you know, the particular judge uh, is, uh, you know, has decided, you know, in 100% of the cases, uh, you know, for the plaintiff on a particular motion, uh, you know, but if the, you know, the, the data set is only like three cases, you know, I, you know, I have to have some kind of understanding to to uh, to interpret the data right, right? I have access to the data, but I have to have, you know, and and in law schools we have to teach students those skills. I think right. that's that's really upon us. Yeah. It's not something that law students typically, you know, you know, already have when they come to law school. And I'd say yes, as I've seen, yes, law firms. I mean, law schools do need to step up in that way. And we've seen this a little bit too with Lex Machina. In the past, we did road shows. We'd go to a hotel and invite people. And actually, now we're going more directly into firms because it's it's more kind of an educational piece about not just about the systems themselves, but about this, you know, how do you right. use data? Right. Uh, and I think that's a really important point. All right. So, so that's, uh, you know, brings me already to my plug for, for the Codex Future Law Conference. So uh, uh, I hope, and, and we'll uh, talk a little bit more about legal analytics uh, in just a minute, but uh, I just, you know, wanted to use this opportunity to make a quick plug for our big conference April 6th. So, uh, We'd love to see you all there. Uh, please, uh, please come to the conference. I think it's a really, really good, good event uh, to learn about the future of law. CodexFutureLaw.com. And I think it's an example, by the way, going to that now for I think mm -hmm. four years. You know, at the beginning it was sort of half full at the beginning, and then it was a little more full. And then, you know, last year, you know, two years ago it was full in the morning, but the afternoon it was sort of emptied out. And then last year it was like standing room only the whole time. Yeah. So uh, I think it's it, it's it's an example of the growing interest right. in. Yeah, in technology and law here. Yeah. All right. So, so Chuck, let's let's maybe talk a little bit more about you know what what legal analytics really means and what sort of the you know what's the potential of legal analytics for. Well, Josh, you wanna maybe talk sure. a little bit about that? Yeah, happy to, to to explain that a little further. So, first talk about analytics, uh, and Monica referred to this in in a way in about uh, tech adoption and such. And talked about how um, uh, litigation has been practiced in the past. Talked about how analytics have been transforming other industries uh, as well. And so people have seen it in everything from Moneyball, which is sort of the famous example. So we talked originally about the Oakland A's, now and also about the Cubs, right? People using data to think different. What are the attributes that make up a great shortstop? Um, you know, Amazon, the example of the Kindle. They're going to the analytics case is, you know, making millions of price changes every day, right? Um, and the legal example too, right, going to the to that uh, sense of, hey, if I follow a particular uh, path, what can the outcome can be? So what we have here, this slide is an example of how litigation has been practiced in the past. So we say, you know, what did you know about the judge and the attorneys and the parties in your case? And a lot of it was Anecdata, as Mark Lemley uh, likes to say. So you know, you know, for the judge, for example, how many years uh, he's been on the bench, and he's said to be plaintiff friendly. Uh, you know, the opposing counsel, you know, where she went to law school or clerked or which law firm she was at, and there's rumors again, kind of more anecdata about that she plays hardball, and about the opposing party, you very often didn't know anything at all. Um, and with legal analytics, this is very different, right? So what can you know now? with the kind of legal analytics um, that uh, it, we are gathering, for example. Um, 
And here are just, you know, some of the examples. So the judge, instead of the anecdata rumored to be plaintiff friendly, you can say, oh, you know, seen 37 similar cases, ruled for the plaintiff in 21, right? You can know the judge's median time to trial in similar cases. You can know that this judge awarded 27 million in damages in four uh, similar cases. Um, you can know what theory of damages um, he awarded them under. The opposing uh, attorney, you can now know, for example, how busy she is. It is four current cases in trial and three others filed. So people said, hey, you know, uh, uh, you know I'm going hit to hit, hit them when either he or she I know is now busiest. And we say, well, it's just data, right? Um, and you know that she likes to transfer the Eastern District of Michigan and, um, and has done that and has appeared three times before this judge and lost two transfer motions. Um, about the opposing party, you now have data. Again, um, you know the medium time determination um, in cases involving his company is 528 days. You know which law firm they've used in the past. You know that where they like to file uh, cases, you know they've won 13 million in damages. This is an example of how legal and exchange is a game, and it gets, I think, to Monica's theme about transparency, right? Information now being out there, and the key is then to be able to use that to your advantage, um, which uh, people can now do. Um, and so just speak for a minute about specific use cases, right? So, you know, technology is only great, uh, as we say, it, you know, it helps people make a better decision, right? That's what we think in terms of Lex Machina is helping people make data-driven decisions. So again, this is not about, you know, robo-lawyers you know, replacing attorneys. This is about helping attorneys make better decisions. Um, and two main use cases, both winning business, so um, using data to identify and assess your competition. So in the other example, um, you know, know who has represented this party in the past um, and who you might be competing for uh, business with. And then being able to use data to demonstrate your expertise about judges and districts. Hey, we have 30% more cases in front of this judge or uh, a 20% faster time to trial. Um, be able to predict legal spend and timing. One of the comments um, uh, that was typed in here earlier today when Monica was speaking about the, the death of the billable hour. So um, being able, be able to predict legal spend and timing so you can bid the right amount if it is, say, a fixed fee. And Roland, you mentioned RFPs, right? So being able to respond to RFPs in real time, right? right. Um, an example of an attorney at Cozen who called by a biotech firm that was buying another big biotech firm and said, hey, in the next week, um, uh, can you look up this, this uh, firm and see what, you know, what litigation they're involved in, look up their patent portfolio? And he said, well, I can just do it right now. We're on the phone, <laughs> right? Photo of Lex Machina says, great. Well, they have you know, two ongoing litigation. These, pat these other patents have never been litigated, et cetera, et cetera, right? So you can do all this now in real time. Um, and then the other major use case uh, that we see is really about winning cases. Um, being able to, again, anticipate the behavior of judges, lawyers, and party, and develop successful motion strategy, right? What, you know, give me, show me 10 examples of this motion uh, that succeeded in the past, and then the last 10, you know, examples of this motion that have failed, uh, and then let me decide accordingly what the best strategy should be. Um, and um, we talk about predicting the outcomes of different uh, legal strategies, right? So I, I think, um, you know, we've seen, you know, various examples of this and, um, you know, partnered a big Texas firm talking about how they think this data has become now indispensable in patent litigation because comparison data about courts, judges, parties, and law firms that was practically unavailable 
is now not only available, but easily and quickly retrievable. Um, and um, the other part about this is it also helps level the playing field, right? So again, you get access to the data that you need uh, about a certain judge. It, again, uh, that transparency uh, theme that Monica uh, talked about. Um, and um, so just to kind of close on, a, on a, a last quote there about legal analytics. So the Amlaw Daily recently wrote, you know, that we seem to be at a turning point where data-driven analytics are going to be an inevitable tool for both lawyers and clients going forward. And a number of the comments that we'll get to in a moment sort of speak to that, speak to some of those changes and how uh, firms can uh, leverage those and, and be uh, and use them to, to their advantage. Um, so that's a little bit about legal analytics. Um, and so with that, I'd like to turn to some of the questions that have been asked and uh, have a, a, a bit of more of a discussion here. Um, and uh, one of the questions um, says that, uh, you know, I've heard the phrase law firms that do technology should become technology firms that do law. Uh, is that trend for firms, uh, you know, uh, to, you know, increasing? Um, and um, maybe you have uh, thoughts on that, um, Roland, from what you've been seeing. Well, I think that's an interesting way uh, of putting it. I think, you know, there's some, there's some truth to it. Um, I think, um, you know, technology firm, I mean, you know, exactly what's a, what's a technology firm? I don't think a law firm has to, you know, have a, uh, you know, a, a tremendous amount of, of uh, AI researchers and, you know, it's, it's not going to be, you know, Google, but I think, you know, law firms have to invest in, in, in technology more. Uh, in uh, in thinking about how their expertise can be made available in a systematic way, right, rather than this bespoke, the, the traditional bespoke kind of counseling way. And a lot of firms are already doing this. They're already streamlining the old ways of doing things uh, with with technology. Um, but I think, in, you know, they will also have to look into, you know, more than, you know, going beyond just the streamlining. You know, how can they sort of repackage their expertise and make it available for for for, for sale uh, to to their to their clients uh, through, yeah. through the internet. I think that's yeah. And the second part of the question I found is that is that is that the trend for firms to increase their client base? And I think yeah. maybe that I think they can serve once they do that, they can serve uh, more clients uh, in a you know in a sort of automated fashion, right? And they will have to develop technologies that will you know help them you know guide the client along in this automated way and then, you know, escalate it to the right expert within the firm when when that person's, that human lawyer's uh, attention is needed. Yeah. We had another example of that, um, uh, you know, the using technology portion, the, the fast reaction that you talked about in the RFPs, for example, um, from another Texas firm where a lawyer quickly looked in Lex Machina and saw, looked at the statistics around a certain motion and saw that there's almost no chance of this motion actually being granted and went back to the client and told them that. Uh -huh. And even though it was going to cost him work in the short term and money in the short term, uh, what it did, in fact, was actually build this great trusting yeah. relationship then exactly. and led to much more work down the line. Yeah. Um, 
I think that's a great example. And and uh, yeah. the human lawyers will, uh, you know, I think as long as we have people, you know, people will, you know, uh, face, uh, you know, get into disputes and uh, or, you know, have to do transactions. And as long as we have that, there'll be, you know, uh, we will need lawyers to help them uh, in those legal matters. Um, but I think the, just the, um, the, those lawyers that embrace these kinds of technologies, I think they will be able to to do actually really well in this in this new world and provide you know be able you know as they say you know be able to practice at the top of their license, you know, and have the machines sort of take care of the the data processing and you know the um, you know the the, the the processes that that doesn't that don't require uh, the the human legal judgment necessarily. I mean, for me, for the last 20 years, I've been saying that the billable hour will be gone in five years. So you can see how great I've been so far. <laughs> but I, I truly agree with what you just said, Roland. And and it's there's only 24 hours in the day, and unless there's some sort of a big crisis, that's always going to be the case. And I think being and so many, I mean, to take it into a sociology thing for a moment, so many lawyers find themselves having a horrific time managing family and, and, their, and their jobs. This, it, it, to me, it's just a complete no-brainer because the more we use the technology for the ways we've talked about today, the more the creativity comes from the lawyer. And it allows the lawyer, instead of having to spend all this time and all this money and teaching all the young ones behind, it's, it's cutting it to the, ch to the point where you can focus on the stuff that they can't do, that is the, that's the nuances and so forth and so on. And, you know, from my point of view, it just makes it better and better and better. You know, the baby boomers are scared of this stuff, but they don't need to know how to do it. They, knew, knew, they need to know how to, have, to, how to find the right people to get it done. You know, so I, I think they need to stop being so afraid of technology. Great. Um, a couple other questions. Um, one question, to, well, one kind of comment on the court system. Uh, when we talk about um, the uh, access to justice, one of the things you talked about, Monica, um, that I think technology will really increase access to, um, to the law and in many ways increase work in that way. Um, but a comment that you, you have to streamline the bloated, overcrowded court system, so that definitely does have to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, another comment and question, uh, you know, hear attorneys saying, as we talked about, you know, very few attorneys go to trial and litigation may be becoming a lost art. Um, I.e., very few attorneys do litigation as a majority of their work. So if tech is going to take over most of the tasks for litigation, how much trial advocacy will be left for lawyering by an actual lawyer. Oh, I think it's going to be fantastic because if they don't have to be dealing with all this, I mean, look at what's been going on with e-discovery. You know, at first everybody was so terrified by it, and now, you know, it's matured. It's it people, you know, it's closing in. We don't have 500 zillion of them anymore. They're starting to ID folks. But again, like I said before, it only helps. 
and it makes it puts the lawyers in a way that they can that they have the tools and the knowledge to be able to deal with the nuances and help their client. Ultimately, the clients are the ones that usually make the decisions on it. So if you're able to go in and have a, a, the ability to do that, and the other flip side of it, which you mentioned too, which I think is very very important, is about the access to justice thing, and um, the in uh, Arizona. They had a really wild thing. I, I wrote. A, I wrote about this, um, and the there was the county where people had to go to do. You know, like if they have a problem with their car, you know, some. You know, they got charged with something. It was a seven and a half hour drive because the grand. The grand. Uh, oh, someone help me here. The, the the what's that great big beautiful thing in the middle of that state? You you couldn't drive straight to it. It was a seven and a half hour drive to get to to the place that was where they could seal, you know, go to the court. And what they ended up doing was someone came up with the idea to build a kiosk so that at least the people that were there could have the simple things of being able to get the documents, sign them, put them in, and and it saved hours and hours and hours, and it was something that was win, 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 win. So, I mean, that's kind of not quite a, on point 100%, but I think you get the point that I'm making. You know, it's the more, the more tech frees up the lawyers to be lawyers. I, I agree, Monica. I would also add, I think there's... Um, you know, it's only two percent of cases or something that actually go 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 to trial. And I think uh, when a case goes to trial, all the old rules still apply. So uh, the the lawyer will still you know need to connect with the with the the, the jury um, and um, and all these kind of trial advocacy skills are, are, are critical. And technology cannot get in the way of that. The other two th- I mean, I think all the other repetitive tasks of litigation. Um, are you know going to be supplemented uh, by 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 technology, uh, and uh, and you know the client will be able to get more involved in that process. But the point the point I'm trying to make is that yes, you know this you know already very few cases go to trial. For those, the old rules still apply, and there's going to be a, a very big premium paid, I think, for people who have those uh, those skills. And not only that, but here's a real irony. Let's say in some of the courts that are perhaps civil, who might be criminal and whatever, the jury, they all have their, they're online, they have phones. I mean, who doesn't have a phone anymore? I mean, even the poverty people can afford a phone in many cases. And if you go into a courtroom where there is like, and this still happens all over, where they don't even have the most basic, basic, Tech. I mean, they can't even bring their. In many of the of the courts, they can't even bring their own computers in. I mean, it's very, very old, and that's that's sort of a reverse thing. When when the jury knows better and uses tech better, you know, that's a problem. If the if everybody else has is not using those those that kind of technology, so that the courts have to have to wake up and get get uh, involved on that. Yeah, that's a great point, and that gets to our the clogged court system question someone raised earlier. And I will say, you know, it's actually interesting for Lex Machina because we started as a public interest project at Stanford, and the whole point was about openness and transparency. And we and so for the entire you know part of um, 
you know, from the first moment the company, once it became a company and spun out of Stanford, provided access to the court system. Because we always joke that we know judges better than they know themselves. Yes. And it's <laughs> funny, whenever we show the product to judges, they say, oh, look me up, you know, let me you know, look me up, right? And, you know, because they're involved in so many cases, it's hard for them to keep track and sort of normalize across all the, their cases. And, and so I do think technology um, can help, um, will provide better uh, results, uh, more justice, and, um, and also enable courts to move through some of this backlog faster. Um, we need to wrap up. So let me tell a couple things, and then maybe we'll take the one last question uh, at the end. First, I want to talk about resources. So um, as we mentioned, uh, throughout that this is really about educating. This is a technology. There are challenges and new competition, as Roland mentioned, but also massive opportunities. And to take advantage of those opportunities, big law and individual lawyers need to educate themselves, just as you know we're doing every day. Um, uh, uh, you know, he, um, and I'm going to the next conference myself, and I'll continue to get educated. So we have some resources here from the Codex website. Uh, Law Technology Now, um, our, our own legal analytics blog here. Um, and again, you'll get a copy of these slides and have access to these resources. And as I mentioned, this is actually the first in a series of webcasts that we'll be doing on the future of law. And the next one will be diving a little more tactical really into winning new business with legal analytics. And we will have Rich Baer, who I mentioned earlier, um, from Liberty Media, who mentioned he'd spent $2 billion in outside services uh, without data, now looking to um, use data. Um, and also uh, Naveen from Paul Hastings, um, who uh, will be able to provide a great um, uh, uh, law firm perspective uh, as well. So I think that should be good uh, dialogue and looking uh, forward to that. A couple other questions that we didn't fully get into, but um, uh, I'll, you know, ask uh, Roland to maybe uh, uh, comment or he'll address at the Codex if you come. But this one person was saying most of the innovation in legal tech is coming from outside traditional law schools through centers like Codex or the private sector. Um, what can be done to convince law, law schools to adapt to these changes? So maybe we'll save that for another day. But <laughs> I know you can talk along for, about that. But um, yes, I have seen that at my alma mater, uh, alma mater Stanford. A lot of the innovation is coming from you know, outside center. So I think there's work to be done there. Um, and uh, more other questions are in the comments coming up about maybe you could see an actual increase in trial, for example, if AI is taking over uh, certain mundane tasks. So that's another theme that we got to. So I really appreciate all those comments and questions. Uh, sorry that we didn't get to address all of them, but it was fantastic to have such an engaged uh, group here. Um, and um, and uh, and uh, you know a great mix of questions that came in and made it a very uh, interesting discussion. So thank you to Roland. Uh, thank you to Monica. Please join us on the uh, next webcast, and maybe we'll see some of you also at the Codex uh, conference. That'd be fantastic. Thank you for having us. Yes, me too. Great. Thank you, everyone.